Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast and one year's membership to the ALPO. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy up there in the search field on top. And yes, the uh, podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now this edition of the Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have with us today Brian Kudnick. He is the coordinator of the Lunar Meteoric Impact Search Section of the ALPO. Welcome back to the podcast, Brian. Thank you very much. Now, we're here today to talk uh, about the recent meteor strike on the moon during the lunar eclipse. But, but before we get into that, why don't you give a little bit of, little, a little bit of background about yourself before we get started? Okay, a little bit of background about myself. Um, I started coordinating the Lunar Meteoritic Impact Search section of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers back in uh, February of 2000, so it's going to be almost uh, 20 years, 19 years now since we've started this. Um, this came about as a result of a, an observation that I made of a meteoroid impact on the moon back in November of 1999 uh, when there was an effort launched to um, observe the moon for impacts by Leonid meteors. And so I reported my observation that I made with a 14-inch uh, Schmidt-Cassegrain um, to the coordinator of this effort, um, Dr. David Dunham, um, who immediately confirmed it on his video. And as a result, um, they were able to look at the videos and find four more. Um, and so since then, that's um, literally sparked a new interest in my um, area of astronomy. I've presented papers and written books, and I'm actually uh, um, serving as editor-in-chief of Encyclopedia of Lunar Science for Springer. Um, I did watch the eclipse last Sunday, but unfortunately I missed the uh, meteor impact myself. 
Oh, that's too bad. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the um, the impact that occurred on January 20th during, during the total lunar eclipse. When did mm -hmm. you first hear about the impact? Um, we actually, I actually observed this from a friend's house in Temple, Texas, about um, two and a half hours from where I live in Houston. Um, and so we were driving back to Houston Monday afternoon when I got a phone call from Ken Poshedley um, reporting um, that he had uh, gotten this report of a meteoroid impact just as total uh, totality was starting, um, which I thought was really, really amazing. Um, I thought I was watching at that time. I must have looked away or I was actually monitoring the moon with a eight inch telescope, but I wasn't doing any video. I was just taking still images with a um, um, camera that can zoom in um, a factor of 20 magnification. I was also doing uh, crater shadow timings um, for Roger Sanat of Sky and Telescope, but I wasn't videotaping um, for any or watching for any lunar um, meteoroid impacts. So we learned about this, and it turned out that a number of other people who were imaging caught this event on their images. And so I'd be interested to find out um, how many images of this impact um, were actually captured since the moon was being widely watched um, because of the lunar eclipse. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. this could be a nice little boon to your section, too. Give, yeah. it, give it some attention. Uh, how many yeah. observations or mo most of the observations you receive on this would be videos, correct? Right, um, or in this case, uh, still images that happen to be exposed at the time of the impact. Okay, all right. I noticed that there were quite a few of those. Great. Now, mm -hmm. wh what do we hope to learn from something like this? Well, we're learning uh, quite a bit, actually, what the um, amount of debris is in the um, Earth's region of the solar system. Um, the moon is an excellent impact counter, um, and it supplements the um, observations and counts of meteors in the Earth's atmosphere. Um, naturally, the objects that impact the moon that are visible from the Earth are a little bit larger than what we see um, typically in the Earth's atmosphere. But it gives us a, um, a pretty good idea of um, just how frequently I understand that some of the uh, estimates um, put the uh, number of random impacts as, uh, to, a day, to a day that are observable. So... Um, it's interesting to know the frequency of the uh, meteoroid impacts, um, the nature of the um, impactor, um, if there's any danger that's posed to any uh, would-be colonies that are set up on the moon, um, and so forth. Okay, and now for, for, for us to be able to observe an impact like this, that's it's fairly probably a fairly large object that hits. Now what we're seeing in that flash, so what is that? What is the flash that we're actually seeing? Um, the flash that we're actually seeing is the expanding uh, fireball of molten and vapor material um, that expands really quick. The actual explosion is on the order of microseconds, and then the expanding plume, the expanding fireball, um, lasts on the order of a few milliseconds to maybe a fraction of a second, and that's what we're actually seeing from the Earth um, as that um, expands. It has kind of a uh, uh, orangish yellow color to it um, visually. Um, I noticed that in one image that was taken and um, posted to spaceweather.com that the impact had a um, similar um, color as the one that I saw back in 1999. And it also looked like it was similar in brightness to the uh, um, fairly bright star that was near the moon um, during the time of the eclipse. Oh, that's a good that's a good measure to see just mm -hmm. how bright that point was. Very good. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Will we see a crater in this spot, or is that something that we probably won't notice? 
we probably we we uh, very likely will not see a crater. Uh, but the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter um, will probably be able to find the crater. It has done so already. It's found um, several craters associated with impact flashes um, that were observed from the Earth. I never thought about that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, give us an overview of the section, of the ALPO section, the Lunar Meteoric Impact Search section. Okay, uh, what we do is, uh, of course, observe the moon for meteoroid impacts. Uh, video is preferred, although if people want to dare doing visual observations, they're welcome to do so. Um, it's really exciting to actually see one of these in real time, but it's very challenging because just a blink of an eye or um, staring away at the wrong minute um, can result in a missed um, impact. And that's why it's very important to at least have um, a video component, um, a video camera monitoring the moon um, for these impacts. What we normally do is we have... Um, um, a couple of types of uh, campaigns that are active. There's the um, monthly campaign where we monitor the moon. I encourage people to monitor the moon from about three days, three to four days after new moon when it's a waxing crescent to maybe two days after first quarter, um, however um, late the uh, person's system can observe without uh, being overwhelmed by glare. Um, and then again from maybe a couple of two days before last quarter, up until three or four days before new moon on the waning side. Um, the waxing side is uh, going to provide prove to be more productive for reasons similar as to why we see most of our meteor showers in the morning. Um, in the morning uh, time, the Earth, uh, when we're looking at the sky, um, we're looking along the direction of the Earth as it moves in its orbit. So it's actually running into any debris um, that um, happens to be out there. Um, if we're looking looking at the moon in the evening sky we're kind of looking like out the rear like out the rear window so to speak but the part of the moon that's facing us is also facing into the into the material interplanetary material um, think about you know, driving through a snowstorm for example um, as you're moving through the snowstorm the snowflakes are hitting you know the front um, and then if you have a trailer behind you um, you can see the snowflakes if it's tall enough um, hit the trailer um, so we we do the uh, monthly campaigns for those that are interested, um, and also that's in conjunction with uh, NASA Marshall Sp- Space Flight Center. Um, they also do uh, a monthly campaign, um, and also the um, uh, MIDAS program uh, over in Europe. Um, they do a regular uh, monthly campaign of monitoring the moon. Um, another um, um, event that is more uh, people are um, usually m- more interested in is when the um, Annual showers are active, such as the Lyrids, the Perseids, the Geminids, um, the major um, showers. That greatly increases the probability of being able to detect a meteoroid impact on the moon. And so I'll put out a special call for observations if the moon is favorably placed during the maximum of the um, um, annual meteor shower. Um, if the moon is full or new or, new or um, a, a very fat gibbous um, or too close to the sun, of course, you know, we're not able to do much with that. Um, but there are times when the moon is a nice waxing crescent in the evening sky um, during the peak of the Perseids, for example, and that's where we um, potentially can get some good results. That's that's very good. Yeah, we talked about this on an earlier podcast, and it's fascinating to me because really the equipment you need for this is pretty much any telescope, right? With a with actually a, a motor drive so it could track the moon. Right. Uh, although it's um, it is um, um, the larger the telescope, um, the higher the probability that you would um, have to um, record an event. Um, small telescopes 
would probably only get the brightest and rarest events, um, but something on the order of uh, eight inch, 10 inch, um, or even a little bit larger um, with a wide field would be best for this kind of work. Um, I did record a lunar meteor impact uh, from the Geminids back in December of 2010 with an eight inch um, Schmidt Cassegrain and it was quite faint in my video, but a person with a somewhat larger telescope, a 10-inch, you could see the flash a little bit more well-defined um, in his video. That's good. So uh, your recommendation would be probably your best chance to see this type of event is during a, lunar, uh, a, a, a meteor shower. Correct. Yeah. Although these do happen regularly. I get see reports um, fairly regularly from NASA of... Um, um, impacts that are recorded at seemingly random times. That's amazing. Okay, and do you have other? Well, so you mentioned the two programs that you have. You have the the monthly program and then meteor shower programs. Anything else that you guys work on during the, during the month or during the year? Um, those are pretty much it at the moment. Uh, of course, when uh, we get a total lunar eclipse, as we saw last week, uh, we have the opportunity to see um, random impacts um, during that time. So. Um, I haven't really been pushing that lately, but now with this uh, event, you know, it sounds like um, it's going to be something that we need to get back on on the ball with. Right, another another reason to observe a lunar eclipse. You know, I've, like you, I was doing the eclipse timings and things like that, and not mm -hmm. even thinking about lunar meteors. That's pretty wild. How many contributors right. do you have to the section currently? Um, there's usually a handful of active observers. Um, um, we have a, a group in Brazil um, that contributes regularly. Um, they have um, another group in Europe and Italy um, that contributes. Uh, we have um, an individual on the East Coast. So it's basically a handful. It's not the it's not the um, um, most active section, um, unlike you know sections like the Jupiter section or you know sections that involve. Um, watching um, giant planets on a regular basis. But um, we do get um, contributors from time to time. Okay. And uh, where are your observations normally published? Um, they're normally, I have, um, I keep them in an archive, um, and I publish them on the website um, for um, confirmation. And periodically, um, I do uh, present papers at uh, events like uh, Lunar and Planetary Science Conference that they have here in the Houston area um, each year. Um, I don't have a paper this year, but actually it's been a few years since I've published, but um but those are a couple of uh, possibilities, and uh, one of the projects that I really do want to get back um, to working on is producing a comprehensive catalog of these uh, impact flash events. Okay. Now, are you going to put an article together for the journal, the ALP, um, on this? I have been putting together. I have been uh, some, um, providing the section report that um, is asked for on a regular basis, okay. um, but at some point, um, it probably would be good to put together a full-fledged article, um, especially with the um, lunar eclipse um, event that recently took place. Right. you got to jump on it while the fire's hot. You know? Right, <laughs> right. Get, get people motivated about this, because this sounds really exciting. It sounds like something I might want to... Because I've got a little video camera that I could hook up mm -hmm. and just let it run while the telescope does does, it, does its thing. That's a good idea. Right. Uh, anything else you want to share about the section? Um, and it's also with your video camera. It's also essential to have like some sort of a timing source. It could be an mm -hmm. audio um, WWV or something, so that you know exactly when the you know, any events that you observe um, take place. That's a good. Good point. Very good point. Now, aside from this, you're also uh, you you were I met you last year at the uh, SAS conference in Ontario. 
Right. And you gave a talk about an observatory that you're working with. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Okay, well, the observatory is nearing completion. We have a total of three domes. Uh, one dome is the existing solar observatory that's been um, that's been there for 20 years. Um, and then the other two domes um, will house a plane wave 24-inch and a Mead 16-inch. And it's going to be um, primarily a teaching observatory, although we should be able to do some observing, some uh, research uh, work. One of the things that I really do want to do with this observatory with the Mead 16 inches to begin a patrol of uh, Jupiter meteors. Uh, meteor, there's been about a half a dozen fireballs that have been videotaped over the last 10 years um, in Jupiter's atmosphere. Um, and so I want to uh, start a uh, project to monitor Jupiter as much as I can to see how often um, these things happen. And also, you know, we can monitor the weather on Jupiter as well um, to support um, research, uh, planetary science research. And of course, um, working with the moon and monitoring the moon for meteoroid impacts, uh, we can go a little bit fainter with our plane wave 24 inch. Um, we also want to get a, an infrared video camera to be able to go um, smaller still um, with the plane wave. So, and with two telescopes, we've be able to we should be able to at least get um, preliminary confirmations on events um, if they both happen within the same at the same time as seen through the um, two telescopes the instruments um, then it's very likely that it's a confirmed impact although the ideal um, criterion is that the telescopes are separated by some 20 or 30 kilometers um, these are separated more like uh, by 30 or 40 meters so but at least it's um, you know it's something that um, we can start with among other projects that we have in mind for the observatory. So we can involve students in the work and um, they can be involved in um, collecting the data and um, um, processing it once we get the pipeline up and running. Now what's the name of the observatory again? Um, right now it's uh, simply called the uh, Prairie View Observatory. And that's where? That's um, at on the campus of Prairie View A&M University, um, Prairie View, Texas, uh, which is about an hour's drive northwest of downtown Houston, Texas, and Prairie View A&M University is part of the Texas A&M system of universities. It's uh, what's called an HBCU, a historically black college or university. Okay, and what's, so your, role, what's your role with the observatory? Uh, my role, um, essentially, I'm a coordinator, laboratory coordinator, so I'm work, um, coordinating the uh, goings-on right now with the construction project and then eventually to um, get everything up and running. So, like I said, we're getting close to finishing, and toward the end of this month, we should get our telescopes, and we're going to have them installed, installed by plane wave um, and then get them um, tested out and um set up for um, um, actual imaging. So we're going to have an opening ceremony at some point in the summer, possibly during August. Uh, we might even be able to get first light before that, depending on how things go. That sounds really exciting. Yeah, I remember your presentation during the conference, and it was very cool. I think I even released it as an individual podcast, your talk. Right. So I do plan to give an update to that um, this June, okay. June, assuming that it's June 1st. Okay. So. Great, great. Look forward to it. Now, how could everybody yeah, go? To, yeah. How could everybody get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Well, they can contact me through the Alpo website. Um, they can also email me at uh, bmcudnik at gmail dot com. Okay. Are you on the Twitter or anything too? Or um, I don't tweet, but I do Facebook. Okay. So people just look you up on Facebook. Right. Okay. Great. Well, Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. 
Sure thing. And good luck with those meteors. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank our guest, Brian Kudnick, for coming on and giving us a little talk about the uh, recent meteor strike on the moon. That was amazing. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and that little box in your house, the Amazon Echo. You can help donate. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to thirty-five dollars a month, where you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, for his continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, Steve. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you want to contact me and chat with me about future topics for the podcast you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on twitter at at observers pod until next time my hope is you always have clear and steady skies thanks for listening